0: fishing conditions. But a couple of things I want to talk about before we get into the show. One is uh, hot weather. Be careful. Stay hydrated um, and make sure you put sunscreen on and just have a good time out there. We've had a lot of drownings in the state this year. We're on pace maybe to set a record for drownings. The water in the lakes, as warm as it is, isn't quite as warm as it normally is this time of the year, especially up in the mountains, it's cold. And hypothermia can set in quickly, so be very, very careful. The rivers are starting to run a little higher. We're not sure what's going to go on with the runoff. We'll talk about that later. But, boy, if you're waiting and fishing, just be, just be super, super careful. We don't want any tragedies. And later on in the show, I'm going to talk about moose interaction. We had some people injured by a moose. And, you know, moose to me are the most dangerous animal in Colorado by far. And but about over 90 percent of the moose attacks happen because you have a dog with you. If you take a dog in moose country, um, it's just inviting trouble, especially if it's not on a leash. But even on a leash, it can be bad. We'll talk about that later because moose are not afraid of human beings. They see a dog as a wolf and they don't run. They defend themselves. So, there's a lot that can happen. So, we'll get into all that. But right now, let's go to the phones. And joining us from Brad Peterson Outdoors is Brad Peterson. Good morning, Brad.
1: Good morning, Terry. It's uh, it's going to be a warm one. Uh, that it is. I mean, I was, I was out on the lake yesterday, and it was pretty toasty then. And uh, I tell you what, as, as quick as we're getting this jump to the warmer temperatures, uh, it... I sure wasn't as prepared for it as I thought I would be. Yeah, it, all of a sudden, it's you know, up
0: here in Fort Collins, it's going to push 100 degrees today. It's warm. You know, and that's a tip, too. You know, I mean, I used to tough it out on the lake in the middle of the day, and you're worn out by the end of the day. A good A good way to handle it a lot of times is get out early in the morning, take a break, and then go out in the evening and afternoon when the sun's a little lower. Uh, and you, the fishing's usually better, too.
1: Yeah, that's, that's what I did. I, I actually, uh, I had to pick up my boat from the shop. And so I hit, hit the lake about 11 by the time I got out there and about two, or three o'clock. It was, it was getting a little toasty. You know, I, I was thought I was staying hydrated, but, uh, I decided to pull up on shore and, uh, go up to one of the little vendors there and get a little break, uh, get something cool to eat. And, uh, uh, then I sat in the shade for a bit, recharged myself and headed back out.
0: Yeah. Just you know, just gotta be kinda be body aware and be careful and wear hats, sunscreen. I wear a gator all the time now. I've had some skin cancers removed, so you know the 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 UV can really get you on the water. But let's talk some fishing. What do you hear and what's going on? Let's start with Boyd. I know you fish Boyd a lot. What's happening there?
1: Uh good news for the anglers who like to fish Boyd. Uh earlier this month we were thinking we weren't gonna get any water and the The couple big rain showers we had up here in the northeast kind of satisfied the farmers. So uh, I want to say Tuesday or Wednesday, the water Tuesday, the water started uh, in at Boyd, and it's been running a a full head uh, over about 450 CFS since then. So the lake has come up about two, two and a half feet, and it looks like it's still running today. We don't know how long that'll be. It kind of ties into... As you said, the the runoff coming down and then uh, what the farmers need. But hopefully that will keep coming. But with the water coming in the lake, it can make for some great fishing, especially for the shore anglers, because that marina cove is where the majority of the water is coming in, and there's great shoreline access, and that current really draws the fish in there, particularly the white bass and the trout. And also there's a lot of catfish that move in there. So this is a so how, great opportunity for shore anglers to get out there.
0: How would you approach it? To go on a buoy to fish from the shore. I know it's going to be a little crowded. It gets there in that, that, that bay where in the marina, but there's plenty of room, like you said, to stretch out. And those white bass can be so prolific. Any particular type of
1: presentation from shore you'd recommend? You know, there's two things that I, I like to do. One is either cast like a, a spoon or uh, a... A rattling crankbait like a rip and wrap or a rattle trap in the silver colors. And then the other thing that's been real productive recently is the fly anglers are getting out there and catching a bunch of them, just stripping streamers down there. And so if you're a fly angler and maybe the rivers are a little too blown out for you and you want to still get out and do some fishing, this is a great opportunity to get onto some warm water fish that, even though white bass may not grow as big as their cousin, the wiper man, they put up a whale of a fight for their size. And they're good panfare, too.
0: They're good to eat. There's nothing wrong. They're pretty prolific. I mean, don't go every day and harvest
1: the limit, but take a few home. Don't you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, white bass are naturally reproducing fish there at Boyd. So the population self-sustaining. So you don't have to worry too much about uh, uh, overharvest of those fish. And they're, they're a great fish to, to harvest. The one thing I would tell you is if you are going to fillet them, take out the little mud vein or the, or the red meat right in the middle of the fillet. If you take that out right when you're filleting it, it's going to take away any sense of a, a fishy flavor that those white bass may have. And if you get that out, it's hard to tell the difference between a wiper and, say, a, a walleye or something like that. They're, they're just really good white meat for, for eating. They
0: really are. What about <clears throat> out in a boy that out in a late on a boat at Boyd uh, out of the walleyes take taken off there. And I wanted to switch from there to the Northeast, but right
1: now, what about, what about out in the boat, walleyes, bass? The walleyes are doing pretty good. The walleyes have been kind of that. It depends on the day. They're either they've been in that nine to say 13, 14 foot range or they're out there in that 18 to, say, 21-foot range, and the best thing to do is use your electronics, figure out where most of those fish are. With the raising water, I would tell you those fish are going to kind of push a little bit more shallow because that's where the bait is going to go. As for the bass, the bass have just been on fire out there. The smallmouth have just wrapped up spawning, so they're in the post-spawn a little bit more spread out, but the largemouth have been on pre-spawn or, or might be getting right to the point of spawning right now. And when you find them, they are ready and willing biters, or have been. And And the size there has just been phenomenal. You know, they just had a Centennial Bass Club had a bass tournament up there, and you needed to average uh, almost 17 inches of fish. They do it on a length uh, conversion. You needed to average almost 17 inches of fish to be up there and have a chance to win it. So that's that's some really good bass fishing for around here. Oh, it really is. What about the trout? Are they going to slow down with this heat? You know, I think they are going to a little bit. The one thing is with this fresh water coming in, that's going to be a little bit cooler because it is coming off the the big topside, and that current's going to keep them going up in that area in the Marina Cove area for a while. But when that heat keeps turning on, those trout are going to move a little deeper. So instead of trolling, maybe in that top five to six feet of the water column, I would say you're going to want to move down to that 10 to 15 foot range to get a little bit cooler water temperatures during most of the day. And then in the mornings or late evenings, you know, we do still have some bug hatches going on and you'll start to see them there. So, At that point in time, maybe you try running a planer board or something like that and and run one rod up shallow, see if you can catch a fish. If you catch a couple doing that, then expand it to more of the rods that you're fishing. Before we run out of time, what's going on with the northeast lakes like Sterling and Pruitt? You know, those lakes have been a little bit challenging this year. Uh, The water conditions, when the waters come in and the weed growth – and the water clarity have all been a little different. So let's start out on the far northeast. Jumbo has been extremely clear this year. It's made the bite challenging, and there's there seems to kind of be a gap between about a 12-inch fish and about an 18-inch fish. So if you want to go out and catch, just have some action, particularly with kids, those 10 to 12-inchers, they're all over. They're biting a lot. It's fast action, but you're not going to be able to keep any. When you start talking bigger fish, it's probably your best opportunity for a big fish, but you may only be getting three to five bites a day. So if you're going to look for, for meat fish, I'm going to say try Pruitt, which is a, a overlooked fishery. That one's been a little bit better, and uh, I would try trolling just uh, with planer boards. Work your way out and, and try to find the right depth. The lake doesn't have a lot of depth to it, but you'll find the depth path, uh that the fish are hanging on that day and then kind of troll around there. If you go and look at Sterling right now, there's a tournament going on. And I've talked to a bunch of the guys, uh, pre-fishing for the walleyes out there. That has been a real challenge, but they are getting into some crappies. So, you know, the, there's a ton of bait fish out there, but the crappies (laughs) are moving up to spawn. So the areas that they're going to be is up kind of that flooded brush and flooded trees And you can work that area. If you've got some of the new forward-looking sonar technology, that really helps out. But if you don't, just really pay attention to what type bush or tree you're getting them on, whether it's an outside isolated one, whether it's a willow tree that has leaves on it, or more of a cottonwood base. Because once you kind of figure out what those fish are holding on, that lake's big enough and has enough other spots that you can go repeat that pattern and go catch a good number of fish. And the last one out there is Jackson, and uh, the water was running earlier about a week ago into Jackson. It is topped off, but it is not still running, so the fish are going to be spreading out from that inlet. I would say target the wipers out there by doing some trolling at more of that mid to upper 2-mile-an-hour range. Cover some water and get some reaction bites. Usually I'm running my my lures about 3-4 feet off bottom for the wipers and then I'll have one right down there near the bottom to pick up a walleye or two as you're out for the day
0: I heard <clears throat> I heard you're picking up a few walleyes and wipers at Union Reservoir too
1: Yeah, Union has probably been one of the best fisheries around up here in the northeast uh, It's a little different in that it's a Longmont uh, city park, so you do have to pay a fee kind of like you do for Horse Tooth or Carter, both for your vehicle and then your boat But it's a small lake. It's a no-wake lake, which makes it nice on these busy weekends. If you get there early, you don't have to worry about the skiers. Um, And right now, pulling bottom bouncers and and, uh, either a a nightcrawler or a spinner rig, those are all producing fish. Target kind of that 13-foot to about 15-foot depth. There's usually a good weed line from the boat ramp if you head east. That is productive, and then if you almost go straight across from the boat ramp and a little bit to the left, there's a point with a little bit deeper break, and uh, kind of work that deeper break line are the two areas that I would kind of start on for that lake. But uh, it is a really fun lake to fish, and it's it's got some great facilities there with paddleboard rentals, uh, a real nice uh, swim beach, picnic areas, So if you want to take the whole family out, maybe a few of the the kids or don't want to fish all day long there's other activities you can do and kind of make a full day of of it and and have a real good experience we're almost out of
0: time we hardly have any left but real quick the gas prices are high are Glendale and McConaughey
1: worth the drive you know right now even with the high gas prices <coughs> I would say both of them are uh, McConaughey's producing more big fish so I, if you're wanting to target the big fish, the, some of the bait fish are going up to spawn. So you can throw spinner baits along the shoreline, along the rocky shoreline, especially where the, uh, uh, the, the rocks are coming in and, and the wind is hitting. That's where I target early in the morning. And it's got both big walleyes and big smallmouth going. Uh, Glendo is a little bit clearer than normal, but if you're wanting to go up and catch great-sized eaters, those 18 to maybe 20-inch fish, Glendo is just chock full of them, and you have a chance at a much bigger fish, you know, one of those 26 to 30-inch fish up there as well to be thrown in. So both of them are worth the drive. If you're going to go that far with gas prices, you know, maybe look at at finding a camping spot or something like that to to do a two-day trip. Just know that both places are now requiring reservations for the camping. So call ahead so that you can get up there and, and enjoy both of them.
0: Brad, we are out of time. If people want more information or book a trip with you, how do they do that?
1: You can find me on Facebook at Brad Peterson Outdoors, or you can reach me by phone at 303-829-3998. All right, my friend. We will talk soon.
0: All right. Thanks, Terry. Thanks, Brad. Brad Peterson. We're going to take a quick time out when we come back. We're going to tell you how you might be able to score a little cash, catch some fish, and have some fun right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. (music) You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. By the way, we are putting together an event with Jack's that's going to happen in July. You need to stay tuned for that. We're going to have a lot of fun there. Let's go to the phones. And uh joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is uh, Tori Iyer. Good morning, Tori. Morning,
2: Terry. Is it uh beautiful up in your part of the state? I mean, it's going to be pretty warm here. Yeah, it's it's been hot towards the end of this week, but it's uh it's nice. Yeah, and, and snows this is going
0: to get whatever snows up there coming down. That's for sure. Hey, Tori, um about I don't know, this tournament we're going to talk about goes back. This is the seventh year, but uh, back even before that, the federal government, you can correct me if I'm wrong, um, gave some mandates, I think in conjunction with the endangered species act to Colorado parks and wildlife and what species they could allow to have over on the West slope that could possibly get into the river systems. And that forced you guys to make some management decisions, didn't it?
2: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we've come up with some agreements on what we can and and will and won't stock. So, um, yep that's that's been in the works for a while now.
0: And you know, and before they used to take some extreme measures to get rid of. And the two fish in particular we're talking about right now are smallmouth bass and pike because they do well in river systems and they're highly predatory. And one of the reservoirs, and we've talked, there's different ones out that are using different methods, but um, Elkhead Reservoir had a population of those fish, and there was danger of, you know, them getting out or getting into the river system, and you guys developed a plan where you wanted to let the anglers help you manage that
2: system and have some fun doing it, didn't you? Yep, exactly. Um, and like you said, we we have Northern Pike and smallmouth Bass and Elkhead Reservoir, and <laughs> We've seen those fish um, leave the reservoir previously, so we've taken some measures to reduce the escaping risk of those fish leaving the reservoir, and now we're hosting this tournament to have anglers help us kind of transition that fishery into one that's more compatible with those native fish downstream in the Yampa River Basin. And and the reason to, to try to get out as many smallmouths
0: and pike is, as you can is exactly what we talked about uh, as far as reducing those numbers, reducing the threat, but you're not going to just let the fishery become not fun and not a viable resource. What kind of fish are you allowed to put in there and how are you rebuilding that fishery?
2: Yeah. And um, that's definitely our, our goal there at Elkwood. Elkhead Reservoir is to have a a great fishery, and um, we can achieve that, and also meet those goals of having a compatible fishery as well. So we're stocking some species in the reservoir that are um, that don't do as well if they do end up in the river system. And so currently we're stocking largemouth bass, black crappie, bluegill, and we're looking at stocking tiger muskie here soon too. That
0: sounds like a lot of fun to fish that lake. There's going to be quite a variety, and, and you know, the bass fishing. It's just going to be a good lake to fish. Now, in order to do this, to get as many of those out, you have these tournaments, and we'll go through the mechanics of the tournament in a minute, where anglers are encouraged to remove as many smallmouths and Pike as they can, and you encourage that on a year-round basis. But during this period of this tournament, they can actually score some pretty good prizes. I mean, they might win up to like $1,500. We can get into that, but tell me a little bit now about the tournament is June, I believe, uh, 18th through the 26th. Is that right?
2: Yep, exactly. It starts a week from today on Saturday and runs for, for nine days through the 26th.
0: And then how does it work? What do I do if I'm out there angling? Do I need to register? Do I bring the fish into you guys? Kind of take me through the mechanics of it.
2: Okay. Yeah. And so fishing will start at 630 on June 18th. And so you can, we'll be there then. You can stop by our registration booth and get registered then. Or, um, you can start fishing and and register when you bring fish into us, um, and then from there any smallmouth bass and northern pike that you catch you'll bring up to the registration booth and we'll uh collect some information on the fish length and and uh check for the a tag that's um worth a prize which we can talk about later but um and then once we get our information and check to see if you want a prize um you can either keep that fish and and uh keep it to eat or donate it to us and we'll send it off to our, our researcher in our lab over in Fort Collins. Yeah. And it's, and
0: it's, uh, you want them to catch a lot. It's not one of these where you can only enter one fish. If you're up there fishing more than one day or all day, you can come back and enter some more fish, right?
2: Yep, exactly. And you can, you know, turn in fish every day through the tournament. And we have prizes that aren't just for, The biggest fish or the most fish, we have, you know, a wide range of prizes, so definitely um, encourage you to keep any smallmouth bass or northern pike that you catch, because it'll all help put you in different prize categories. So how do I win, and what can I win? Okay, well, the biggest prize of the tournament is um, prior to the tournament, we will go out and collect one smallmouth bass and one northern pike, and we'll put an internal pit tag, in them so they won't be visible but when you turn those fish in to us we have a scanner and if we scan a fish that we tagged this year it'll be worth $1,500 one pike that's worth that much and one smallmouth bass and then um, we also have a couple bigger prizes if you turn in a fish that does have one of those internal tags but is from a previous year's tournament um, we have some larger prizes for that such as a nice fishing hut or um uh big cooler things like that and then we also have six what we call daily prizes where if you catch the largest smallmouth bass the smallest smallmouth bass the largest northern pike smallest northern pike or most smallmouth bass or most northern pike of the day um that'll make you eligible for a daily prize so um something more along the lines of a fishing rod a grill something like that um we have a variety of those prizes and then um in the event that the the grand prizes the 1500 hundred dollar pit tagged fish aren't caught um we will then do a drawing and we'll give out all the money and all the prizes out regardless so if the if the pit tagged fish aren't caught or one of them isn't caught then we'll, we'll do a drawing um, to give away that money. And so anytime you bring in a smallmouth bass or Northern Pike during the tournament, that gets you a, a ticket into the drawing. That's
0: awesome. Um, before I let you go, you've been doing, this is the seventh year now. Um, is it trending in the right direction for you?
2: It is. Yeah. I think, you know, we're well on track for where we want to be um, we're seeing reductions in The adult smallmouth bass population and you know we're making headway on the pike front as well and um both in our sampling and also just anecdotally talking to anglers it seems like more and more people are catching largemouth bass and the crappie fisheries doing well right now so i think i think we're well on our way
0: if people want more information
2: is it on the cpw website yep we have um A page up with the rules and um, you know park facilities and how to how to get ready for the tournament when it is and all that. It's all up on our website.
0: Sounds like a great way to have some fun and maybe score a little cash. Tori, thank you so much for joining us. It's I've been we've been talking about this event for this is the seventh year and it just seems like a great way to help with management and let the anglers have some fun. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Terry. You bet. That's Tori. You're going know, to go. It's the, it's the um, Elkhead tournament. Go check it out. If you're headed over there or if you want to head over there, have some fun. Enjoy it. We're going to take a time out. When we come back, we're going to talk about another management tool that it requires some, sometimes some participation with the anglers and cooperation on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 1043 The Fan. <laughs> Just to tear up in my eyes Each night I cry myself to sleep You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan, brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear, locations up and down the front range. If you're an outdoor enthusiast, check them out. By the way, that bumper music coming in is from the current released EP by Wickstrom and Dobrath that you can find on all your favorite streaming. It's called A Teardrop in My Eye. We'd appreciate it. Just search Wickstrom and Dobrath on social media and streaming. Let's go to the phones. Joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is Billy Atkinson. Good morning, Billy. Good morning, Terry. You know, it's uh, it's a beautiful day in Colorado, a little bit on the toasty side, and that kind of plays in to what we're going to talk about, doesn't it?
3: It does indeed. Yes, it does. We're monitoring the water levels around the state closely as as temperatures warm up and we start to lose our snowpack.
0: You know, um, we just got done talking to Tori about help anglers helping the uh, parks and wildlife manage fisheries by participating and removing unwanted fish. But now we're going to talk about a management practice that can be either mandatory or voluntary, but we ask them not to fish or remove fish or to catch fish even. And that's river closures. Why are river closures such an important part of the management strategy?
3: Oh, very important part, and I'll, I'll back up for a minute. So you, you touched on mandatory and voluntary, and so I should elaborate on that. Um, you know, Mandatory closures we don't use as often, um, typically depending on what we perceive might be an impact, uh, in this case of, of uh, angling pressure on the resource. Um, most of the closures we implement and a lot in the last five years, all around the state, actually, a lot of the Northwest and uh, Southwest regions, certainly some over in the Northeast and on the Arkansas River below Pueblo. Um, a lot of these closures, um, we've been able to implement voluntary closures. And we have gotten great compliance from our constituents. Um, with those voluntary closures, we also... Um, utilize what's called a hood closure. We might just close a river in the, during the, high, the higher temperatures of the afternoon and allow fishing in the morning stuff. So voluntary closures are a lot easier for us to put on and, and take off if need be. Um, mandatory closures end up getting signed off by our director, so it's a little different approach. Um, we prefer to use voluntary closures uh, for the most part. And these closures we use um, can be for spawning, uh, protect spawning aggregations, whether it's walleye or kokanee, or fish off a tributary, um, so we're prote- protecting something we may take eggs from a broodstock, uh, from a population, but also uh, environmental conditions, you know, temperatures, flows, maybe dissolved oxygen levels, especially in the last five years. The third uh, is a more like a stochastic event, like a wildfire or a flood, where there's that added condition we might need to close the system. But uh when you,
0: so that, yeah, when, when you do these closures, <clears throat> you really take into a f- account what the impact on the fishery could be. It is it isn't just haphazard. You don't just guess. You have you have definite, specific goals and understanding of the fishery when you do this, right?
3: Absolutely, Terry. We you know as as management biologists and researchers, we study these systems and we can predict. You know, based on what we're looking at. Um, you know, we can predict what might happen a few years out, given what our population, uh, composition, species composition or size structure looks like now. And a lot of these, um, closures related to environmental conditions, I'm mostly talking about trout and whitefish populations. And so the whitefish, we're not stocking whitefish in most situations. They're native to the Yampa and White River drainages in Northwest Colorado. And so... We want we take uh, extra measures a lot of times to protect those populations. Um, and the trout, you know, if we most of these resources that we put these closures on, we we stock them if they are stocked. Some of them are wild, uh, meaning we get we do get natural reproduction that sustains the the resource. But a lot of them we end up stocking with subcatchables or fingerlings, so two and a half, maybe three inch trout takes a while, a couple of years, for those to get to a catchable size. So if we think, you know, the larger trout, uh, t- uh, temperatures and um, environmental conditions are typically more stressful on larger trout than juveniles. And so that's the component of the population, those catchable size fish that we want to protect. It, does, it would take a couple of years to replace them in a fishery. And we want to protect the fishery for, you know, the, the next year or the year after even. So and what impact? What
0: impact? What impact do anglers have if they're fishing when the water's too low or too warm? What does that do to the fish?
3: Well, first off, the, the flow is the low flows. So when you have a river system, for example, and you know, say it's a hundred feet wide, and the ripples we know as the ripples in the system—that's where a lot of your bug production, your forage, is coming from. When you all of a sudden now, you shrink that river, the wetted channel, the wetted width, from say 100 feet, maybe down to 50 feet. What you do is you pull in a lot of fish that might be in smaller habitats, that might habitat that on the sides of rivers and streams that might be suitable, say, for your five-inch fish, your eight-inch fish, even 10-inch fish. So these are <laughs> pools are gonna hold your bigger trout. So, but when you pull in that water low flows now, you're concentrating those fish. So now you've got more miles to feed, your production in that riffle ends up um, being reduced as well. So you've got more miles to feed, not as much energy, uh, not as much of a resource. It's very important that these populations um, build their energy reserves in the spring, summer, fall to make it through the lean times of the winter. And so when you have low flows, not as much um, reserve, many reserves there from a vertebrate or forage standpoint. So that's one. Um, two, the temperatures. So, these, these trout that we're talking about, these fish, are called ectotherms, meaning their metabolic rates um, fluctuate with water temperatures. And uh, when you use the term scope for, act, scope for activity, it's basically a measure of their energy reserves. Um, it's a difference between a basal metabolic rate, like when they're just foraging or sitting and holding in a river, or an active metabolic rate. So, they, they, their metabolism increases when they get hooked or when they're uh, looting a predator or chasing prey. Um, so the energy reserves is that basically that gap there. And when the water temperatures increase, the, those energy reserves tend to shrink. And about, it's about a doubling of metabolic rate every 10 degrees C. So 50-degree water versus 68-degree water, which is where once a lot of these systems get up to the high 60s, low 70s, that metabolic rate is increased. Uh, which increases their demand for oxygen. And oxygen is not as soluble. It doesn't dissolve as easily in warm water as it does cold water. So with angling on top of that added stressor, making it difficult to them to recover with the oxygen and temperatures, It just, especially with a larger fish, you start to get over 71 degrees, and you, you know the energy they're burning when they're playing somebody, if they're hooked, it can, can really be compromising to them.
0: So, Billy, we're going to run out of time here pretty soon, but that's all great information. But we want to talk about one closure in particular, and that's the Yampa River below Stagecoach. You had to implement one there. Is that right? We
3: did. The second year in a row, a mandatory closure. And that's strictly due to very low flows, about 15 or 18% of average right now. And so that, that we have a robust population of a very, um, from a research standpoint and a management standpoint, we have rebuilt that rainbow trout population after whirling disease uh, functionally eradicated it in the early 2000s. And so that, we looked at that as a broodstock development and also uh, a rare resource that the, the river between Stagecoach and Catamount because it's got a very high proportion of rainbow trout relative to a lot of other sections around the state. And so that, we, that gets a tremendous amount of fishing pressure year round at that short section below the dam. And so with, you know, those fish get concentrated in these low pools and, um, it really can be impactful to to allow fishing pressure, uh, on those when they're concentrating those pools. Last question. And we got
0: to run, is there a place on the CPW website where people can find out what streams are either voluntary or mandatorily closed?
3: Yes, we typically do update our website. Um, with, there'll be a link to, to river closures. Um, I, I have to check and see if I, I'm as far as I'm aware. My closure below Stagecoach is the first one of the year, so it might need to be updated. It's a recent closure, but we do keep those that closure information statewide updated as, throughout the summer.
0: All right, my friend. I wish we had more time; we could talk about this forever. But thank you so much That's for good. joining us today, Billy. Oh, uh, you bet. My pleasure. All right, Billy Atkinson. We're gonna take a quick time out. When we come back. We're gonna get some fly fishing, actual fishing updates from the folks at Blue Quill on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, a 1043 the Fan.
4: Sports Radio 1043 the Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. I not sure why the top of the hour
0: open played. We're not to the top of the hour yet. We're going to go right to the phones. And joining us from the Blue Quill Angler is Chris Steinbeck. Good morning,
4: Chris. Hey, good morning, Terry. How are you?
0: I'm doing well. We're going to have a little bit shorter segment, but we'll steal some time from Nate to get it in because I want to give a good fly
4: fishing update. Uh, Let's start out with overall. What are you seeing out there? Yeah, you know, so we... uh, we have a lot of low flows right now in the South Platte River. Um, fishing's been pretty good down at Deckers up in Cheeseman. Um, Dream Stream has been a little tougher, but uh, still pulling some really nice fish out up there. Um, no, yeah, go, go ahead. No, I was just going to say I, I was going to ask you about some of the techniques, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So, like, uh, uh, so the South Platte's low and. Those techniques we're tr- trying to adjust a little bit, and when the flows are as low as they are, and at a Cheeseman Reservoir, they're flown at 65 cubic feet per second, and like in relation, that should be much closer to at least 200 right now. Um, so really low, and those fish are really spooky. And when they get like that, sometimes a really stealthy approach with a dry fly on top, or a smaller dry fly with a little nymph dropper behind it is a great tactic to go with, and we've been fishing a lot of those up and down the whole South Platte drainage lately.
0: And uh, you said a dry dropper. Are you getting hit more on the dry or the dropper, or is that a pretty good combination?
4: You know, so the benefit of lower flows is the water temperatures are starting to climb up a little bit. And so as the weeks keep progressing, the number of hits that we're getting on top are getting better and better. Um, we'll start seeing a lot of caddis right now on the South Platte. You're seeing a bounce all over the water and lay their eggs. Um, it's really, really can entice some great dry fly fishing. Um, and so I would say Terry, most fish are probably still on the nymph dropper. Um, but as the season keeps progressing here, more and more, we're going to be on top there. All right, right now, if you're heading
0: out there, what would, would you look at the hatch before you put your rig together, or do you have one this time of the year that you like as your dry dropper combination?
4: Yeah, so um, a really good standard right now is the elk hair caddis. a um, size 16, size 18s. Um, both tan and little light browns work really well. Um, that's going to be my go-to right now. The caddis hatch is a really good one. We're also still seeing some bluing olives here and there. Um, And so sometimes like a parachute Adams could be a really good call. Um, Yeah, try to target those foam lines, a little softer water, um, which with low flows there's a lot more of. um, And you'll find some really nice fish there. What about the dropper? So the dropper, uh, pheasant tails work always really, really well. Um, RS2s do good traditionally you want to throw something that's got a bead head whether it's a brass bead or a tungsten bead Um, that's just going to help that fly break the surface tension of the water and get down just a little bit quicker Um, and so hares ears are really good ones Um, you know you want to think more like the mayflies right now mayflies and caddis Um, and so the hares ears great caddis one as is the graphic caddis from John Barr um, and then on, uh, the mayfly side, I think pheasant tails, um, juju betas from Charlie Craven's a great pattern. Um, yeah, think small though with the low flows, think small, like size twenties and 22s on the droppers.
0: You know, I don't know if there's a time of the year when you can't, if you can't figure out a hatch that you couldn't put a small caddis on with a you know, like you said, a pheasant tail or something. And, and, and if you make a good
4: presentation is almost more important
0: than the fly in that case.
4: Yeah. You know what? It really is. And right now with the stealthy approach that's needed because the low flows, presentation's absolutely everything. And the benefit of those caddis is sometimes they're not just sitting still on the water. They're bouncing around, they're flying. The fish are used to having um, a shorter period of time to be able to attack them on the surface before they fly away. And uh and skating those dry flies could be a great tactic. So
0: what are you hearing about some of the other rivers like maybe the Colorado? Is it is are they drifting it? Are,
4: are the flows fishable? Yeah, so you know, they're starting to with especially all this nice weather we've had, uh the flows are starting to increase. Uh day by day they're getting better and better, um in terms of more into traditional runoff type of flows. They're still low. Um the Colorado right now below Kremlin's flowing right at 1300. Um, so again, that's creeping up day by day right now, which is good, but still relatively low. Um, the clarity is not terrible. Um, if you, but again, if you get a couple of nice days like this, it's going to put more dirt in the Peter Creek's and into the system. So that might color it up a little bit. Um, but it's not as chocolate as it normally is. Um, the last few storms we've had have really helped our snowpack a little bit. They're still low, you know, and it's kind of hard to gauge snow this time of year. Um, but the Colorado Basin's right about 50%. And so they still have some water to come down. Uh, but yeah, it's still really, really low.
0: And then on the flip side of that, I hear Clear Creek through town is running pretty high,
4: coming into town. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So Clear Creek really is starting to, just like the Colorado, starting to get higher and higher. Um, It's starting to blow out pretty good. Anybody who's driving up and down I-70, you can just look down and see. Um, It's moving really well right now. Um, And and that's a good sign. I think we're going to have a couple weeks of high flows here. Um, You know, everybody knows the water situation we're in, and so as much rain and precipitations could be welcomed. and um, Even if that means blowing out a river here and there and, um yeah, so I think for the time being, anybody locally, uh, Clear Creek's probably not going to be the best option, at least for another couple weeks here.
0: All right, we are out of time, but if somebody wants to book a trip, sign up for a class, just come by the shop or get some great information. You guys are always free with the information. How do they get a
4: hold of you? Yeah, you bet. We are. Please call us. We'd love to help. <laughs> um, you can reach us at 303 674 four seven zero zero. Um, you find us online at bluequillangler.com. Uh, as Terry mentioned, we're always happy to help. Um, and anybody interested in learning fly casting, we have a free class on Saturdays at 10 a.m. every Saturday. No need to register just show up to our shop up in Evergreen and we'd love to help you get started in fly fishing. I
0: might have you work on my cast. It isn't as sharp as it should be. (laughs)
4: Let's get out there. Let's get out there. right.
0: All right, my friend. Thanks for joining us. Get back out on the water. Hey, thank you very much, Terry. You guys have a good day. You bet. Chris Steinbeck from Blue Angler. Just great people. I mean, great, great. I've got to know the family that owns it. I, You know, of course, everybody knows Pat Dorsey. Just tremendous people. Great. Uh, you know, if you're looking for some fly fishing help, Blue on Angler will help you out. We're gonna take a quick time out, and we come back. Somebody who's always willing to help us catch fish will join us. Is Nate he will join us on Terry Wicksham Outdoors and on 104.3 The Fan.